Hey everybody, this is Dr. Sam Byrne, and in today's show, we've got some really interesting questions. If you've had cataract surgery and you're suffering side effects, you want to listen to this. And what happens if you've got cancer in your eye? What can you do? And also, I'm going to be talking about some new things that you could do to reverse wet macular degeneration. And then there's a 17-year-old who's got some vision problems. And finally, what can you do with an eye surgery if it's gone wrong? Stay tuned. Hey, everybody, this is Dr. Sam Byrne, and I'd like to welcome you to another podcast. We are at number podcast 67, and we've got some very interesting questions today, so I think I'm going to jump right in. This first question is from a gentleman from Denmark. I love Denmark. I've been there a few times, and I've got some colleagues there. And uh, so he's a 78-year-old male. And about four years ago, he underwent cataract surgery in both eyes. And since then, he writes that he's been troubled with oversensitivity to light and a diminishing peripheral vision, especially in the left eye, which he felt was always his weak eye. He is really having difficulty with the light sensitivity. In fact, uh, it's so difficult that uh, if he goes from inside to outside, um, he just has lots and lots of problems. He also is very concerned about this reduction in his peripheral vision, and his eye doctor thinks that it could be caused by myoglaucoma and also the... uh, development of macular degeneration, but he's not sure. The doctor's not sure. So he wants to know what he can do to help his vision. Well, this is a a common experience. I I say that I'm the court of last resort because, you know, a lot of cataract surgeries go really well. In fact, most of them just come out really beautifully, but there's always a few where, uh, you know, people are left with dealing with these kinds of problems. And, you know, when you, when you talk about eye surgery, one of the things that I, I've been beating this drum for many years is, you know, if you have any kind of surgery, say you have a surgery on your knee or your shoulder You always go for physical therapy afterwards, and that helps you integrate the surgical procedure you've done. It helps you heal from it, release the trauma, reduce inflammation. But for the eyes, nothing is ever offered in terms of physical therapy. And I think one of the reasons why is that that as eye doctors, we're not trained to think about the eyes from a rehabilitative sense. Like we can't rehab our eyes. We don't learn that in, learn that in school. I, I happen to, because of my training and my first clinical experience in a hospital, when I began working with people who had had severe trauma to their brain and I developed a rehabilitative program that was based in physical therapy, I saw the improvement. I saw the plasticity in our eyes and our ability to regain not only the eye-brain connection, but how that affected our behavior, our balance of the nervous system, and our emotional state, 
and even the choices we end up making. So in this particular case, uh, there, there's many levels and layers to this. I think part of it is that, uh, you know, to understand the mechanisms of light sensitivity, because this occurs quite frequently in both cataract surgery and LASIK surgery. And this particular light sensitivity is probably occurring more in the cornea area, although there is some light sensitivity, or we call it photophobia, that occurs in the retina. And it, it's interesting to be able to diagnose, well, where is this light sensitivity coming from? We know that the retina is made up of mostly uh, rods and cones. We call these photoreceptors. And when there is a, a sensitivity to light, there is, a, again, if we talk about the cornea, there could be, again, some trauma, even from the incision from the cataracts, even though, you know, it can be a micro surgery. Um, and then ultimately, if the retina is involved, then this light sensitivity occurs. And uh, it's very, very disconcerting. You know, hypersensitivity can actually occur throughout the entire eye, the cornea, the iris, or the pupil. Our pupil doesn't uh, constrict and dilate properly. And of course, one of the big keys in hypersensitivity has to do with surgery, or it can do, be due to the nerves in the, in the cornea. Um, some other things it can be due to would be nutrient deficiencies. So this would be one of the recommendations I would make is that uh, I want to make sure this gentleman is getting enough vitamin A into his body. And of course, he's living in Scandinavia. And so in the wintertime, uh, you know, we don't get enough light usually in Scandinavia. Vitamin D3 is another factor involved. So it may be worthwhile going to a naturopathic physician and finding out what are my vitamins and minerals. Am I getting enough lutein and zeaxanthin? and astaxanthin. So as an example, with lutein, uh, you want to be getting about 20 milligrams a day of lutein, about 12 milligrams a day of zeaxanthin, and about 12 milligrams a day of astaxanthin. So these particular three carotenoids are critically important for the macula, and they are a contributing factor if they're deficient and we have... Uh, light sensitivity. You know, the other day I was working with somebody with light sensitivity and we discovered that uh, she had thyroid disease, her pituitary gland was off, uh, she was a pre-diabetic, and she had had some heavy metal toxicity poisoning. And all of those things can be other reasons why we develop uh, photosensitivity. Also, computer eye strain. Again, studies show that if we're not blinking enough, uh, this can cause dryness and also lead to light sensitivity. And then we can take a look at things like our nervous system and are we in balance between our sympathetic nervous system, which is our active state, and our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our resting state. And I don't know whether you know this, but if you're in a sympathetic nervous system uh, pattern 
primarily or in a dominant way, your pupils are going to remain dilated. And we call this the alpha omega pupil. And so if you're in a stress response all the time and the pupils are too dilated, this could be another reason for uh, photophobia. And then finally, the drugs that actually can trigger uh, photophobia, and these would be things like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, antihistamines, blood pressure medications. Uh, so if you're taking any pharmaceutical drugs, you want to check the side effects because this can lead to uh, hypersensitivity. Now, the second part of this has to do with the peripheral vision. And what I've noticed uh, in my practice over the years is that when we've had eye surgery, there's a trauma that can occur afterwards. And I know that the surgeons don't believe in this, but believe me, trauma is trauma. And when you have any kind of surgery, there is a, uh, there is a problem with the cellular tissue uh, because you're cutting on it. There, there's no way that you cannot have trauma. And it's just your ability to be able to respond and heal from that trauma. A lot of times that what happens when we have surgery, we can actually start to tunnel our vision. It becomes an emotional, uh, both biochemical, emotional uh, pattern of our survival response that kicks in. So one of the great things about the eyes is when you start doing the physical eye therapy exercises, we've got two dynamics going on here. The first dynamic is that a lot of times the retinal cells become desensitized to the light when we're under stress or trauma. It's our way of shutting down our vision to try to stay in control. The second part to know is that when you start exercising those parts of your retina, you can actually reawaken them and this can lead to your peripheral vision growing again. And I would also say that, you know, the brain is a big part of the equation of seeing. And if you start accessing better brain function through these brain, physical eye therapy exercises, this is another way for you to stimulate your peripheral vision. And uh, if you do that, you can start to regain your periphery. Now, the peripheral vision is important for depth perception, your balance, and your uh, memory. And for many people, especially as we age, if we've had surgery, this can lead to a shutting off or a shutting down of peripheral vision, which you can regain through the nutrients and physical eye therapy exercises. Uh, so I think these are the main things. I'm, I, I would say that, you know, if you've had any kind of cataract surgery, uh, to make sure you're using homeopathic eye drops afterwards. Those are great to do for just helping the tissues heal. Uh, making sure you're getting enough nutrients in your diet. And number three, the physical eye therapy exercises. There are two more I want to bring up. One is, is that if this situation is going on, I would seek out a craniosacral therapist. You know, craniosacral therapy is fabulous for opening up the circulation in the eyes and the brain. It also helps balance the nervous system, it creates a sense of relaxation, and it just gets the lymph and the fluid body working more efficiently. And then in acupuncture, acupuncture, 
In this particular situation, if you've got photosensitivity, that's a yin deficiency. So we've got yang and yin. Yin deficiency. If you go to your acupuncturist and you boost up things like your kidneys, your liver, uh, through acupuncture, this is going to boost more energy into your eyes. It's probably going to balance out the hypersensitivity to some degree, and it could also give you clearer vision, brighter vision, and more peripheral vision. So I hope that that's helpful. Um, I, I appreciate the question, and uh, take good care. This next listener is Tammy, and she's writing in about her friend who has been diagnosed with something called ocular melanoma, which is a primary cancer uh, in her eye, and she's done radiation treatment. Now she's looking for some natural uh, complementary therapies and wonders what I might suggest. Well, I'm really glad that uh, your friend was able to get this diagnosed and that radiation treatment sound like, sounds like it worked well. The only, only other option is surgery, which can be a little... Uh, more serious, but there are some things that you can do to, uh, how can we say, maybe lower your risks of cancer. So I want to go through those. One of my go-tos is essential oils. You know, I love essential oils, and I became an aromatherapist about five years ago, and when I started to learn about uh, aromatherapy, I, uh, I found out that there are three essential oils that actually have some anti-cancer uh, properties to it. And so these particular three oils, frankincense, galbanum, and myrrh, are actually uh, wonderful to use and to put on your body as a way to oxygenate and hydrate in your bloodstream, uh, also, these particular essential oils have some anti-cancer properties because of their, uh, their oxygenating and hydrating states. So in terms of application, uh, I would say that um, you could put a couple of drops on the top of your head and massage it in. Uh, that would be either frankincense or myrrh. And the galbanum you could use a couple of drops and put that um, in any part of the lymph system. I like to use slightly below the neck area. And if you're going to use essential oils, you have to be uh, dedicated and committed. That means using them two or three times a day. And they smell wonderful. Uh, they, they, uh, they're such a great support. You know, when we work with plants, um, Plants are very complex in their design, and when they enter our body, they're called adaptogenic, which means that they work on each person individually based on what that person needs to create more harmony and balance. And that's very different than, say, doing allopathic medical techniques uh, like pharmaceuticals, which are synthetically made and only work with symptoms. So I think getting into the aromatherapy essential oils would be one uh, thing that I would do. Another thing that I would explore, and maybe you could do this with a naturopath, 
or functional medicine doctors, find out what your toxicities are in your body. Have you been exposed to even things like cleaning agents, pesticides, heavy metal toxicities? How well is your immune system working? And if you could do some detoxification work, I think it would be very, very helpful because the, the better your immune system is working, the better your detoxification pathways are working, then you have a better chance of getting rid of uh, metabolic waste that can accumulate. And of course, if we live in an acidic environment with lots of inflammation and stress, uh, we're more susceptible to any disease process, including cancer. The next thing I would do is I would make sure you're getting out into nature. You know, there's a condition that I believe many of us suffer called NDD, Nature Deficit Disorder. And there are more and more studies coming out that show that breathing fresh air, getting mild to moderate exercise, uh, getting out into nature on a daily basis does things like release anxiety, it helps release toxins in the body, it improves your mood, and then of course we have the natural light diet, uh, where you're getting, you know, 30 minutes of natural light every day into your eyes, which is actually very beneficial. Uh, and last but not least, I would probably line up a team of professionals and see if you could work on kind of the psycho-emotional uh, parts of this uh, ocular melanoma. Uh, also, maybe getting some regular acupuncture, craniosacral therapy, uh, all of these things are um, really part of the overall approach. You know, it isn't like one thing that you can do. And as you, as you explore many of these complementary and alternative therapies, uh, there may be a few that you really, really like, and you can go more deeply into them. So these would be some of the things that I would suggest and recommend. I so appreciate the question. And thank you very much for your participation. My next listener, her name is Gayla, and she is writing about her mom, who's 80 years old. She's never had any eye problems. She just had cataract surgery in both eyes. And she noticed that after the surgery, in her left eye, that she started to get a blind spot. So she was diagnosed with wet macular degeneration. She's now getting monthly injections. What should she do? Well, macular degeneration is a growing epidemic in our society. By the year 2020, about seven and a half million Americans will be suffering some form of macular degeneration. And, and the more common kind is uh, dry macular degeneration, and sometimes the dry can lead to wet. The key in wet macular degeneration is that new blood vessels are forming that grow toward the macula, and these new vessels, uh, although they mean well because they're trying to be more, bring more nutrients to the macula, they're weak, they're fragile, and they cause more bleeding and this can lead to rapid uh, vision loss, thus the, the injections as a way to slow down the, uh, the bleeding in, in that particular area. Now, 
in macular degeneration, there are things to, to note here before we go into the complementary treatments. Number one is that at some level, when you develop macular degeneration, there is oxidative stress, which is an imbalance between the amount of protective antioxidants, uh, antioxidants versus free radicals. And also, if you have a condition called drusen, which are uh, proteins and lipids that begin to accumulate around the macula, this can also accelerate some of the, the bleeding that can occur. So with oxidative stress, on top of that, it's almost as though the free radicals are winning against the antioxidants. And this can lead to new blood vessels forming, but it creates a kind of cell death in, um, in and around the macula area. And finally, the inflammatory response, this kind of feeds uh, everything in that particular area in terms of you know, accelerating oxidative stress. Now, also the exposure to ultraviolet light and the blue light from our uh, digital devices and electronics, uh, this is an issue. Things like hypertension um, or any vascular disease can accelerate macular degeneration, obviously be around, being around smokers, uh, having high homocysteine levels, um, and systemic inflammation. So the complementary approach, the strategy in especially wet macular degeneration is to initially and immediately see if you can slow down the growth of these new blood vessels. And you may need to get a few months of the injections but it's very important that you're getting the nutrients, and if you can get them through your foods, all the better. And I'm just going to run through the list of nutrients that you want to make sure you're getting. And most of these are in plant-based foods, your fruits and vegetables, or in your fats and oils. So in the carotenoid family, these are pigments that really protect the macula, lutein, zeaxanthin, and astaxanthin. Vitamin D3, resveratrol, grapeseed extract, and then omega-3 fatty acids. The DHA specifically in the omega-3 fatty acids actually have very protective anti-inflammatory effects that can kind of limit the growth of the new blood vessels. Vitamin C, bilberry, saffron. Ginkgo, glutathione, taurine, melatonin. What's your sleep like? This would be another thing that I would explore with a functional medicine doctor. And, you know, taking things like dietary enzymes, uh, probiotics, very important. And with glutathione, because that's the master antioxidant in the body, you may consider... Uh, are you getting enough selenium? Because selenium supports glutathione, sulfur. You know, I talk a lot about MSM, so now we're offering the oral MSM 
Uh, sulfur is the third leading trace mineral that we find in the body. If you can get that through your cruciferous vegetables and uh, pasture-fed eggs. So overall, it's eating the rainbow diet, lots of leafy green vegetables, natural foods. I would eliminate sugars, uh, gluten, dairy. Now, this is very interesting because I've had a lot of people with wet AMD, and when they eliminate dairy products, the uh, edema or the lymph system begins to work better, and sometimes this can create um, a reduction in the fluid buildup in the macula around the eye, especially, you know, in the macula area. So getting off dairy is a very important factor here. Another thing that I look at is mold. So if you've ever been exposed to mold, you have a higher risk of developing age-related macular degeneration. So if you go to a a, a functional medicine doctor, they would be able to test you uh, for mold. So it's a dampness. You've got too much dampness in your body. So it's kind of the systemic and then the eye uh, relationship so that you're getting your nutrients both on a systemic level and on an eye level. And last but not least, I would definitely go into my 90-day macular degeneration eye exercise program. This is a fantastic program that I developed many years ago, and I keep tweaking it. And this would be something really good for your mom. And so uh, I appreciate the question, Gala, all the way from Kansas. And uh, good luck to you and to your mom. Take care. All right, this next question is from a listener who has a 17-year-old daughter with severe dry eyes as well as convergence and accommodative problems. Everything seems to be getting worse. Well, in this particular situation, the first thing is, is you need to get a vision exam that goes beyond the eye chart, reading the eye chart and looking at eye health. That just doesn't cut it. It's an incomplete vision assessment. And in this particular case, what's going on is that there is a problem in the visual skills. So this gal, 17-year-old, is having uh, problems with her visual coordination and her visual focusing. So her eye-brain skill set is not able to meet the demand that's being placed on her. It's that simple. And vision therapy is the answer in terms of improving the visual skills and reducing the convergence and accommodative problems that she's going undergoing. It's that simple. Now, in my, um, on my website, I have a program called Enhanced Learning, and that's the one that I would recommend. So that's a 90-day program doing vision therapy. That would be a way to begin to improve your visual skill set. When you're under visual stress, one of the things that happens is your eyes are going to dry out because of the stress. Now, it could be eye stress and or uh, body stress. So certainly the homeopathic eye drops, using them several times a day, would be helpful, but I don't think it's the answer. And this is why in my practice many years ago, I started to do biochemistry testing because it starts with what's going on on a cellular level. And if 
a child or a young adult is having challenges in school, they are under incredible stress. And I'm not just talking eye stress. I'm talking body stress. So their adrenals may be overworking. This may be impacting their overall endocrine health. They may not be digesting their food properly, or they may be eating foods that are laced in sugar and processed foods. They may not be getting any probiotics or enzymes or fats and oils. So getting some biochemistry testing along with doing the vision therapy would be so helpful. It will actually accelerate the improvement in vision therapy by doing some nutritional support. And the only way to know what nutritional support you need to do is to do some biochemical testing. Now, whether that's blood panel or urine analysis or hair analysis or dark field blood analysis, whatever it is, if you work with a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor, there are a lot of different ways to analyze the biochemistry in the body. And once you have a baseline and you have a, um, a roadmap, so to speak, you want to start increasing and improving the nutrients. And this will not only help the overall energy and improve one's ability to absorb uh, one's, uh, you know, one's nutrients, but you also get more benefits out of the vision therapy. So it's a pretty simple solution. It's just finding the right things to do. And these would be things that I would suggest. So thank you very much for the question. All right, this next question is from Sarah. Good morning, Dr. Byrne. I have developed a retinal detachment one and a half years ago. And unfortunately, when I went for surgery, uh, there was an accident and they cut one of the vessels and now I have a macular hole. There are no corrective lenses that I can use to clear up the blurry vision. And now I have a severe cataract on that eye. Any holistic treatment for this? Well, it is true that, uh, you know, when you get eye surgery, there are risks. And here we are that in this particular surgery, two of the things can occur, which is a macular problem and cataract problem. So let's address the cataracts first. In some cases, when you've had a secondary cataract that forms due to surgery, a lot of times the surgeon is a little um, hesitant about taking the cataract out of the eye. Now, in this particular case, I would certainly get right into doing the cataract protocol, which would be the Tears Forte eye drops followed by the Cineraria homeopathic eye drops. And I'd really boost your, your eye nutrients, especially your sulfur-based foods, glutathione, uh, maybe some MSM, um, vitamin C, vitamin A, lutein, zeaxanthin, uh, fats and oils. So I would do everything I could to see if I could begin to dissolve the cataract in the right eye. Um, it sounds like that the cataract is not fully blown so that you know, these cataract protocols that I suggest can be helpful at the very least neutralizing uh, and in some cases reversing cataracts. So uh, that would be the first thing that I would do. I would start that particular protocol. Now with a macular hole, what's happening is that the macula is the center part of the retina where we see detail. And it's very connected to the gel sac that sits in front of the macula called the vitreous. 
Now, the vitreous, as we age, sometimes can shrink, it can dehydrate, and it's made up of mostly collagen. So with the macular hole, it's important. There's two things to do here. The first is that you want to consider you know, your carotenoids, so really boosting lutein, zeaxanthin, and astaxanthin. That's critically important because that could actually feed the macula. And then the second approach would be to do some things to improve the collagen health, both in the vitreous and probably in your whole body. So this would be things like including bone broth in your diet, uh, maybe using silica. Silica sometimes can help in the support of connective tissue as well as bone health. Hyaluronic acid, ginkgo, and of course your omega-3 fatty acids. It may be even worthwhile for you to do my vision program for macular health. This is the Eye Clarity 90-Day Program, because I do find that the eye exercises actually start engaging your brain as it relates to your eyes. And most of our seeing is actually in the brain. Very little seeing is in the eye. And the eye exercises actually help bring the brain more into your, you know, your visual experience. That's what the eye exercises can do. So the eye exercises are essential. I also would make sure you're wearing blue blocker lenses when you're on any digital time. So you're protecting your macula against the chaotic blue light. If you go out in the sun, the combination of using sunglasses and bright sunlight, but also, also uh, going into natural sunlight at least 30 minutes a day. So it's going to be a two-prong approach. The first is the cataract protocol that I recommend, and the second is doing some things to boost your macular health. You know, over the last six months, I've had about six people completely reverse and heal their macular holes. And in fact, when they go back to their surgeon, the surgeon can't believe the scan because the macula has actually healed. So I know that you can do it, Sarah. I think that you've got to start in uh, and focus on all of these holistic treatments. And if you do that, you have a great chance of improving your vision. So that's our show for today. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. It's been awesome sharing time with you. I appreciate all these questions. They just keep coming in droves. So uh, we've got lots of different channels, uh, pro, uh, my podcast, uh, Facebook Live, blogs, and uh, both video blogs and written blogs. So I'm reducing the resistance on how you can access my content. It's all free. And I'm going to continue to do that. So send your questions to me, and I'll do my best to offer some advice. Okay, everybody, take care, and until next time, see ya. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsambyrne.com. The Byrne Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. 
The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Burns' information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.